You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Now, if you haven't heard yet, uh, this is me telling you, you need to take a look at the new boots from Lacrosse, and they fall under the Navigator series. Now, what they've done is they've taken the best parts of a rubber boot and the best parts of your traditional hiking and hunting boot, and they've mashed them together to come up with this new line of boots from lacrosse and that is the navigator series now they have the women's wind rows they have the men's wind rows and then they have the atlas the atlas series within that as well so go to lacrossefootwear.com and check out this new line of boots that they have i've been using mine for a couple weeks now and i am very impressed with the the fit and the feel and i can't wait to get them in the woods this hunting season and uh, give them a trial run so lacrossefootwear.com check them out Ladies and gentlemen, my friends, even my enemies, welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, my friends. And today we have another awesome podcast, and this is a three-state rundown. We're talking to a guy from Nebraska, We're talking to a guy from Kentucky, we're talking to a guy from Georgia, and we're recapping the early season and uh, the goal is to get uh, do a couple of these podcasts throughout the season it'd be nice if I could do one once a week uh, just kind of touch base to see what deer movement is like um, kind of touch base uh, different parts of the state uh, this week I was able to get Nebraska I was able to get Georgia and I was able to get Kentucky these are three states that have September openers and uh, so I talked to three different dudes from those states and uh, that's what this podcast is about man we're recapping uh, their season we have two success stories and we have one story that I have a feeling is similar to a majority of all the uh, September openings states and that is hot as balls and uh, very slow deer movement and um, there are certain times if you can match maybe a cold front with uh, a summer pattern you might get a deer on their feet early but you know I hate to say it a, a lot of the time these deer are still creeping out right at dark or even after dark and the chances of just getting a mature buck uh, down on the ground this time of year is very difficult unless you have a very low pressure food source type of area maybe hit with a cold front on a low pressure ground uh, and uh, you know I think for a majority of us that's just not happening so uh, awesome podcast today now we got to do a little commercial real quick. And today's commercial is for Ozonics, right? Uh, go to ozonicshunting.com and check out all their product line. They do have a, a brand new unit out. It's called the Orion. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and talk about all the the new features of this but i'm telling you right now it is an ozonics unit that puts out even more ozone while you're in the tree and you match it with a dry wash bag it is now your go-to scent elimination source 
for your clothing and you while in the tree, right? So you prep it uh, at home, prep your clothes at home in the dry wash bag, and then you use the unit in the tree. Uh, I'm telling you right now, guys, uh, there's not very many products that I will stick my neck out for, but Ozonics is one of them. I, I, you give it a chance and you see the results. It's pretty, it's pretty easy as, as far as the, um, the usage and stuff. Uh, the kicker, not going to lie. It's, uh, it's, a, it's an investment, right? It's more money than an average piece of hunting equipment. But if you're like me and you have three kids or you have two kids or whatever, you have a family and you have a full-time job and every trip into the woods matters, then I, I would bet money that this product has, is, is priceless when it comes to being able to protect you downwind and give you more opportunities to harvest a deer while in the tree stand. So take that with a grain of salt. The only way, the only way for you to find out is to play with one, either borrow one from a buddy or, you know, buy one of the lower models and work your way up to one of the more expensive models. But again, ozonicshunting.com, check it out. It's badass. And that's the end of the commercial. So we got uh, an early season recap from three guys from three different states. Check it out. Make sure you guys are Go to the Nine Finger Chronicles Facebook page or Instagram page and let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. If you want to be on this podcast and kind of recap next week, I want to talk to someone from the Northeast, someone from the Eastern part of the Midwest, like Ohio, Indiana. And then uh, by that time, man, uh, Iowa openers coming up fast and uh, I don't know if I'll be able to hunt it. But as soon as I get back from my mule deer hunt, I think I'm going to hop in the woods for a couple days and uh, see if I can't knock down a doe or two and uh, get the party started that way. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, we're kicking this episode off by talking to a guy named Matt Coleman from Kentucky. And here's what he has to say about his early season success. Yes, sir. Um, You know, we... we, uh found one and he was showing his face too much and we were able to capitalize you know make some small changes in the last minute and capitalize on him awesome so uh was this a deer you you knew from previous seasons or did you catch him on trail camera or how did you how did you learn about this buck well this particular buck i I did not recognize him from previous seasons however in in my neck of the woods we we, we really don't have a whole lot of repeat customers or else they change so much from one year to the next that they're hard to recognize. Um, we're in a wide open agricultural area and, and um, if they get two or three years old and, and out to their ears, they're in trouble. Right. Right. All right. So in Kentucky, when is the official opener for bow season? Our bow season opens on the first Saturday in September yes. and this year it actually opened on the 7th. Gotcha. So are you kind of the, are you the guy who likes to get out out there right away and start, uh, start the grind right from day one, or do you sit back a little bit and wait, or do you typically hunt this early in the season after a deer or only if one shows its face? Well, it depends on if I've found one or not. Um, I've got two farms that I, that I focus on. One of them is fantastic velvet spot there ain't but like three or four does on the place but you might see 12 bucks and within two weeks of them shedding their velvet that's your window they'll be gone and moving off to somewhere else um another place is my rut spot both of them are only good when the beans are on them gotcha gotcha so when it's a corn year or a different uh crop then they're they don't like that they don't like that property that's they'll be there but they're not as you you can't time them as well right Um, Right. they'll be they'll be there on the if you've got corn on those fields it seems like when the from the time the corn is shelled until it germinates they'll be on it hard and then after it you know after what's spilled through the combine after it germinates and the and the weeds start growing back they'll come back to the corn because by that time the beans are are turning and then after that you know they'll come through and spray and kill everything that's growing back and then it's it's pretty much over until the wheat's on gotcha 
Okay. So let me ask you this. Uh, this early season, um, why don't you this you know because this this podcast is about early season. What makes that farm uh, with all the velvet bucks on it so appealing to a, a white-tailed buck? Why don't you talk a little bit about uh, maybe some of the early season food sources, uh, what the terrain is, why they like living there, and why you like maybe attacking that farm early season? Well. Um this particular farm it joins up to several others and there's no hunting all the way around um there is a lease about a half mile away that's about 600 acres and it's got some fantastic property but this uh this particular spot is it's not very much woods it's kind of y-shaped and all of the woods are in a bottom so the any any danger that approaches your your thermals are against you and actually this is the first you know i've been hunting this farm for 10 or 11 years and this was the first buck i've actually taken on this farm and it's because i started paying attention to what the thermals were, were actually doing okay uh but but it's 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 a mix of beans and corn every fall all you know we're all the way around is it an acorn spot too i mean um this time of year a lot of guys are hunting acorns well in this one particular spot yes but as far as the my end of the farm or my end of the woods that I get to hunt, there's not a lot of acorns. Gotcha. Although, yes, if I had more acorns, it would be way better. Gotcha. So this time of year, what, where do you think that the bucks were betting in, I guess, uh, in correlation with your, your tree stand spot? So he was betting, and, and I don't know for sure, but as early as he was coming out, early you know two weeks before season come in he was not betting far from the edge of the field and you know i i go back and yes trail cameras are are a very important tool and we started using these cell cameras which which helped tremendously but um you know we i, I like to go and watch them with my eyes from as far away as i can and then uh you know if i see something like i'll go put a camera out and get good looks at him and, um, you know, he was coming out really early, which makes me think that he was bedded right there. And actually, after we shot him, we he, he ran in there and died pretty well where I thought he was bedding. Gotcha. So this is a this is a deer that it sounds like you almost had pegged with tra- trail camera intel uh, before the oh, season yeah. even started. Yep, yep, absolutely. He, he was coming in like clockwork. You know, I, in, in Kentucky, we're allowed to bait. I don't like baiting if i can help it but the the way that he was moving and um the route he was taking was going to make it near impossible for me to get on on get on him and and capitalize so yes i put some bait out and i I hunted probably 250 yards away from his normal route and so i was able to manipulate him to to come to from a certain direction and leave a certain direction and and not get behind me gotcha but that was plan a and you know a week before season come in this full moon was approaching and he kept getting a little later and a little later and by the you know within a week of season he was you know actually coming in just after dark you know too late gotcha so you threw you threw some bait out a couple weeks before season hoping that that might be uh trying to get him to come to you and so, so you weren't getting busted, let's say, uh, with a, a random wind, wind. So, right. So, but, but then the moon started coming out and he started slowly becoming more nocturnal is what you're saying. Right. Okay. That's right. Yep. So it's, um, so then when the, when the season then came into play, uh, could you even hunt that bait, that, that bait station that you put out? Um, so opening day, I, I was sort of torn because I know I've been watching him come out and he's going about a hundred yards across the field and he's getting in this particular little spot over there. And that's where he would stage up and a few more bucks would join him. And they'd sit over there for 30 minutes and then they'd start out across the field towards my setup. So knowing, you know, with the, with the intel from that cell camera, I knew he was coming in later and later, but I had to try it. 
at, at plan A because that's what that was the plan that brought me. I had to try it one time. And he actually came in just like he was supposed to, but it was 15 minutes after I could shoot him. You know, oh I'm man, sitting there looking at him through my binoculars. He's 30 yards, and I just had to sit there with my arms crossed, mad. That's that kind of scenario scares me um, because you don't want to bust this deer getting out of the tree stand, or you know he comes by or somehow circles downwind of you, and you, you know, he gets too close to you and you can't shoot him. How far away was right. he when he when he came in that first night? Uh, he started probably 250 yards away, and he and he worked across the field. And they come in, and they hit my corn pile, and then they they when they left, they went out across the the field, and you know the wind was good the whole time, and um, you know I sat there and watched them walk. The, the moon, like I say, the moon was was super bright that weekend, and and right. I was able to look through my binoculars and see them out there in the field. And um, they got over the hill from me, and I actually climbed down out of the stand, and I'm trying to think, do I go around the hill? Do I try to, you know, take the Omaha route and and, and try to skirt them all the way around? And, but if I went that direction, that's also the direction that he had been going. So I, I tried to loop back around the other way, and I was running in too much weeds and standing corn. So I, I come back to where my stand was and, and glassed the field one more time and actually saw them going through the fence row across the field so i just watched them go through the fence row and i just left walked gotcha. out like nothing was there so was that was that opening night yeah that was opening night okay opening night. night so quick question how far was your tree stand from the bait pile oh 30 yards 30 yards so he they came in and visited the bait pile and then left but this was all after dark after shooting light Right. Okay. Right. Okay. I got gotcha. you. All right. So, I mean, you just had an encounter with him. Uh, I mean, if it was five, ten minutes the closer to sun, you know, closer to light, you probably would have got a crack at him. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I did. I tried to draw. I drew back on him, but I just couldn't make his silhouette out and, and see the pins. You know, I could see him naked eye, but looking through the sights was a different story. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, then did you end up going back to that same location the next night? No. No. So after he, you know, no, I, I was torn on what to do the first day anyway. I was, I wanted to move in on him to where he was staging up, but I've, I've never been able to hunt down there and not get busted. Um, it just seems like there's just no right wind for down there. So day number two comes in and uh, a buddy of mine comes in we're going to try to get this deer on film and uh we we pack a, a running gun set now mind you this we're we are three quarters of a mile from the truck across this bean field and it's just hot yeah i mean there's it's 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 the worst conditions yeah so we pack a, a running gun set up in and loop way around that way he, if he comes by us maybe he wouldn't catch our our trail across the where we went across the field and we hung a set and did not see a deer never saw the first deer so that night i went home and i backed up seven days on my cell camera and he had he had went missing for just a little over 24 hours and during that time i didn't have it not not only was he not there but no deer was there for whatever reason i don't know exactly what was causing them all the deer to just disappear for the whole day but they was but you know so i knew that he was apt to be back the next night so we went back actually monday afternoon and hunted that same set because he hadn't been there and so it was going to act like it was just the same first time in yeah and um it uh worked out really good but <laughs> what was happening the reason he was um uh, he was staging up over there the way that the field lays, you know, it was just a little low spot there. So all the thermals was coming into him. And plus there was, there was eight or 10 white oak trees just inside the edge of the woods there. Ah, there's the, there's the reason for the staging area. That's why it was so popular. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you started off with this bait pile, but then you realized that you needed to move to get closer to him, um, as he's coming out into this, into this field and then so you, you kind of moved uh you did a run and gun tree uh, setup he didn't show up uh you go back the next night on monday night and now you're away from the bait pile right 
Yeah, yeah. So so Sunday night and Tuesday night we were we were away from the bait pile. No, he wasn't coming to it religiously anymore anyway. Gotcha. Not during, at least not during the daylight. Gotcha. And that's that's kind of uh, you know a, a, I've never been able to bait in Iowa or I've never hunted over bait in any other state. Well, I guess I take that back for in, in one time in Texas, but um, it almost seems like they use the bait very minimal and they, they're still eating acorns and beans and whatever, oh, yeah. whatever is around them. Definitely. Okay. A hundred percent truth. I have never killed a deer off of a bait pile. Okay. Um, so they are pretty much just good for inventory in my area. Yeah. So this kind of low spot where all the, where they were staging, you said, uh, is kind of where a, a thermal hub and all the thermals and kind of scent was coming down. So it's almost like they were scent checking this field before they made oh, yeah. their way up yep. into it. Okay. So you decided yep. to get closer to that, right? Yep. We, we got right down in the middle of it. Okay. Stay right up on the edge of the field. And uh, we approached, actually walked through the woods a little bit, but, you know, we run the risk of bumping a few does. He was he was bedding probably 100 yards from our setup. And like I say, our beer density is just not very high. And if we had to bump a couple of does, I was willing to do it Yeah. to um, to get in close to that staging area. Gotcha. So were, were you hunting in an area with a lot of deer then? No, 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 there's a low I mean, deer density. Oh, and you see, oh yeah, definitely. Okay. It is not uncommon to, to go and never see a deer. And if you see three or four, you've probably had a pretty good day. Okay. All right. So a fairly low deer density. Um, and then, so when this deer finally stepped out, was he still with that bachelor group of uh, bucks? He had split up. He wasn't bedding with them anymore. So when they used to, you know, three weeks prior, they would when they come out, they come out together. Now they were coming out from different places, but they would rendezvous over here at this little staging area, and you know, eyeball each other over, and then they work out across the field together. Yeah, yeah. So, so yes and no. Gotcha. So he he uh, he pops out, and then from the moment that you saw him, why don't you walk us through what happened then? Well, um, he was supposed to have come from across the field from us and and you know come across the field and stage up but the deer he was running with they come out from across the field and we kept expecting to see him come out from behind them they they didn't um they they work over they're in range and they're milling around and they keep looking i had a big limb blocking pretty much right under my stand uh anywhere from 15 yards away all the way out to 75 yards away and probably 30 yards out into the field worth. Um, so I had a little blind spot in the field there and they kept eyeballing that, that spot that I couldn't see. So I knew something was there and he, um, after, after watching them encounter each other, this, he, there was a, so he was polished out and another buck was polished out and the, the po- the two polished bucks would, would approach each other. And, and they, and that's what he done. He come straight in here to me, the 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 buck I wasn't after that was polished out. He come under, underneath this limb and he goes out of sight. Well, he comes back out, you know, right at last light, and uh, he gets about ten yards out in where I could see him, and he stops and he looks back. I said he's here, and so I went ahead and got ready, and you know he stepped out from behind that limb. And he's walking straight away from us, and um, so I hit him with the rangefinder. He's forty four yards and climbing. And I hit the other deer with the range runner. They're 52. So I know he's going to be somewhere in that 50 range. I shoot fixed pins. So, you know, it's not hard to make an adjustment. Yeah. To, uh, you know, and, and I, I, I preach everybody that I can, you know, shooting single pin is, it, it may work in a tight spot, but if you need to go from 20 to 50 real quick, good luck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so he walks straight away from me. And, um, he, he stops and he's, he's sitting there feeding and I'm waiting to draw back the, uh, the other deer, they take off walking. They're making their way out into the field. And, um, so when they start walking, I go ahead and draw, he turns broadside, takes a few steps, 
I settle the pin in. I shoot a hinge release, um, and I have been for the past probably five years, and it's it works really, really well trying to make a good shot. Uh, but anyway, I settle my pin in and squeeze down, and, I, and the shot breaks. And you can watch on film. This he takes a step while the arrow's on the way and hits him back, um, and um, it just you know broke my heart. I absolutely hate making a, an iffy shot on a deer like that. Yeah, you know it was it was headed right, and uh, you know it, was, it sort of sucked the joy out of the moment. Yeah, I, 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 it breaks my heart bad. So you think you got <clears throat> all guts? Did you think you maybe got liver at all? Uh it was hard to tell how he was quartering, you know, listening to the shot, it sounded like I might've hit a rib or two, but look, you know, looking at where the shot hit, it looked like he was square in the gut. Oh man. But, and it was, you know, he run uh, maybe a hundred yard loop out there in the field and he stopped and he stood there in the edge of the field and had his head hanging and his tail was flickering. And he stood there for two or three minutes and then he eased up into the edge of the woods and, you know, he he looked like he was just fixing to walk in there and die. Yeah. And um, you know, we go we we didn't climb out of the stand till nine thirty. You know, we sitting in the stand for two hours after we shot him. And um, we get out there and find the arrow and we find the blood and and the blood doesn't stink or at least not bad. The blood is pretty dark and so it's giving us a little bit of hope. Right. Right. Uh, the the arrow wasn't stinky. And. Um, so we follow his trail around. It's about midnight at this point, and um, uh, follow his trail around. And we get to where he had stopped in the field, and there was no blood oh, at all. He had sealed. He'd sealed up. Um, so we back out and call a buddy of ours, uh, Jared Lindsay, and he's got this little little uh, cur dog named Copper, and they were nice enough to come out and and help us look for this deer you know as hot as it was we need to get him found as quick as possible and he was piled up in there in the thickest junk you've ever seen and uh we you know we went it was really really dry you know we've not had any rain to speak of in a month right so the dog the dog was having a little bit of trouble but but we were able to find him and uh you know he was looking at him on the pictures you know we were had him somewhere in that 143 to 150 our 148 to 153 range, and he he was just a shade bigger than we thought. Ended up taping out 157 and a half. Wow, that's a great buck. Uh, quick question about the weather. I had two friends that were hunting in Kentucky this year, and uh, they said it was hot as balls the entire week that they were there. Is that the story for all of early season so oh, far? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's just been blistering hot, and you know, there's those deer. They got to move whether it's hot or cold and uh, you just get the wind in your favor oh that's something else too the wind and the thermals so the wind was perfect it was blowing out of the south which is just what we needed and but it was a really really gentle wind something like three or four miles an hour maybe and so the deer that come out into the field they were catching they were 200 yards away just perfect 90 degrees to, to what the wind was blowing and they were smelling us they come out nose in the air and looking uphill and they were thought they thought we were up there so what was happening was our scent was getting blown up this hill and the thermals was taking over and washing it back down across the field over there huh sure enough we, we got it on film or whether you can watch them nose in the air wow so it's almost like the wind the wind took your scent away from you and then and then took it back down and put it even better in your advantage to the point where maybe they smelled you a little bit but still and then pushed them the opposite direction towards you right right wow it's you could see they were wanting to go uphill and go out into the field and it kind of kind of guided them right into us wow that's crazy Uh, i love when uh things like that kind of happen though man um other than other than it being hot, is there any other thing that you can think of that had these deer on their feet in daylight? Um, you know, is this a low pressure farm or are there other guys hunting? Yeah. It? 
No, no. It's a small acreage. Um, no other people was hunting it. He was bedding really, really close to the beans. Uh, this is we was hunting over soybeans. Our beans were really, really late, and so our beans were still super, super green. Okay, that's a win. I think that's why they were preferring ours over over the neighbors. Huge shout out to Matt for taking time out of his day. I know this is last minute for all three of these guys, so I really appreciate them. Uh, uh, making room in their schedule to do the podcast. Now, the next guy we talk with is Ray Buckner, and he's from Georgia. And I have a feeling that his story is a lot like everybody else's story in the U.S. when it comes to hunting the early season. Really hot and night movement on all of your bucks. So the first question I asked him was, what are the conditions like down in Georgia for this early season? I'm from down in South Georgia. Um, conditions have been pretty warm. Um, been seeing pretty good movement. I hunt a lot of bottom land and a couple urban areas. Um, so I've been, been seeing a lot of basically afternoon movement. Gotcha. Morning hadn't been that great, so... Gotcha. So, uh, when you're talking about afternoon movement, um, are you, are, are you seeing young bucks? Are you seeing anything in the mature category or is it mostly just young bucks and, and does so far? Uh, mostly young bucks and does. Um, I think I've seen one or two, uh, probably three and a half, maybe. Gotcha. Um, year olds and, um, but I have a lot of mature bucks on camera, so Gotcha. So as far as what deer are on camera, uh, for, for me in Iowa, it's, it's always like the, the big deer or the mature deer are showing up after dark, uh, this time of year, well after dark, right? So what time, it sounds like you're uh, running some cameras, what time are the big boys coming through or have they kind of skedaddled uh, for the time being? It seems like most of the time there it's... Um shortly after dark when they come through um my urban areas uh it can range it may be two or three days in between sightings um it just just depends some of those are during the day but i don't get to hunt those as as often as i'd like gotcha so as far as getting something uh like, I guess, what are you looking for this year? And when do you think that one might uh, make an appearance as far as y- for you trying to sneak in and, and go get it and kill it? Um, well, I, I, we usually try to target anything that's four and a half older. Um, we have a couple that's uh, around five and a half, six range. Um, but usually the, the first of November is usually pretty good to us. Um, Gotcha. Well, that's usually when we harvest most of our mature bucks. So. Gotcha. So, so right now it's kind of uh, real slow, real hot. All the mature bucks are, uh, you know, coming through after sunset. What's the uh, food scenario down there? Did you guys have a good uh, acorn crop this year? Has, medium acorn crop? Did you even have an acorn crop? I mean, uh, what's the crop situation like? It's been probably a medium. Um, acorn crop i mean we've had as far as our like salt oaks and stuff like that they produce pretty good this year but um as far as our white oaks and red oaks it's kind of a hit or miss in there um as far as food plots all that looked great this year we had plenty of rain um i think just the heat because it's been mid 90s to hundreds wow um, still yeah um so this time of year, what would you consider a cold front? Like low eighties? Uh, yeah, low eighties. Um, probably fifties in the mornings. Gotcha. Um, which gotcha. if we've had one or two of those, but they're kind of spread out pretty gotcha. good. Gotcha. All right. So then, as far as uh, the evening hunts, it sounds like you know you're seeing good deer movement, but nothing of the caliber that you want to shoot. What's the situation for morning hunts? Uh, do you even get excited about morning hunts this time of year? Um, that kind of depends. It, it kind of depends on the weather, like um, as far as temperatures and stuff. Um, if there's a cold front that came through, then I'd definitely be in the stand first in the morning. Um, 
as of right now, it's with the heat as it is, seems like more movement there in the afternoons. Yeah. And I think that's pretty much nationwide. It sounds like, you know, from the, from the sounds of it, just, it's that time of year, you know, people are getting out and, and hunting, yeah. uh, just to get out and hunt. Um, are you looking to fill the freezer with some does or are you kind of strictly just kind of waiting it out, hoping a, a big dog steps out? Well, I mean, I kind of, I have a couple properties that I, I usually shoot a doe or two early. Um, but then I have another property that I won't shoot a doe at all on, on those properties. So, Gotcha. Okay. Um, so as far as, uh, you know, let's let's just say, what do you think your own chances are of harvesting a uh, mature buck in the next, I, let's just say, week to two weeks? Uh, that's that's going to be a tough one. Yeah. Um, I, I don't see any, any break in as far as the temperatures or anything, so it's... Um, it's going to be tough. Um, I'm, I mean, there's a, there's a possibility because if I can get one coming through right there at the last light. But gotcha. I guess. So, all right. So, uh, anything else exciting going on in Georgia that you that you may be doing to to pass the time before you really start spending a, a ton of time in the tree uh, for you know as the closer it gets to the rut. Uh. Not, not a whole lot. I mean, we, I'm trying to scout some new public properties, but um, I'm trying not to go into my good areas um, pouring sweat. So. Yeah, absolutely. So this is kind of a, a time of year where you're just going out, enjoying hunting, and uh, if a doe walks by at one of the properties that you want to shoot a doe in, you're going to shoot it, and if not, yeah. you're just kind of going through the motions. Yes, sir. All right. Well, Ray, man, I really appreciate your time. You're welcome, sir. I hope y'all have a good season. And the last guy that we talked to on this podcast is Jeff Enrise. He's from eastern Nebraska. And he starts off the conversation talking about the property that he eventually harvests a very good buck on this early season. Um, So this is actually a new spot that I had acquired this summer. Um, Did a lot of door knocking um, in southeast Nebraska, and landed probably about 1,200 to 1,500 uh, new acres. That's a win. Um, yeah, big time. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of friendly people down there. Um, this spot, I had actually, this is about 400 acres, and this would have been probably in July at some point. Uh, got out there and got some trail cameras up, let them soak for about four weeks, yep. try to get a quick inventory, and it was about 250 acres that I was originally scouting on one half. It was nothing but cows. Yeah. Didn't realize there were cows in there. Um, handful of deer, but nothing to get excited about. So I moved them to the opposite side of the farm, let those sit about two weeks. And again, handful of doe, uh, nothing else. So I was kind of getting ready to give up on the property, but there was one section that I had yet to scout. It was just one timber block. That was probably 20, 30 acres. Yeah. Um, so me and a buddy of mine, buddy Nick, we had gone out one day afterward just to get the cameras up. And as we're crossing the fence road to walk the bean field edge up, we look up and we see nothing but two sets of antlers coming out of the beans. Um, and one of them was a nice four by four. He's probably, you know, the upper one teens, which, I mean, I get excited around, you know, for deer like right, that around absolutely. here. Um, and the other one that stood up behind him, I mean, was a stud. And he was at that point, probably in the one thirties already, okay. not a little bigger. And so we, we jumped down and kind of took the, the field edge all the way around to try to get some good pictures of him. And we got about 50 yards from him before we jumped him and just kind of caught a glimpse of him running away. So like, well, found the deer. Right. So I uh, had two cameras on me, set one up on the field edge, and we walked about 30 yards into the timber and actually found an active scrape. Okay. Like super early in the season. I wasn't expecting that. So I'm like, well, it's obviously got to be some sort of community scrape. What time, so, uh, what time of year was this again? This was still in July? Um, by the time we had got back out there, it was the beginning of August. Beginning of August. Okay. Yep. Uh, so I got in there, set the camera on the scrape and set one on the field. edge. I was like, yeah, I'll check these. Yeah. You know, at some point I'm like, I know they're in here. Um, but between all the other land that I have to hunt, I had about three or four other shooters that I was going to prioritize uh, over these deer. Yeah. So, uh, Labor Day weekend comes around and me and my family, we were camping out of campsite, you know, five minutes from the property and, we were actually hunting another property opening day, and I talked my dad into going out there. 
uh, later that afternoon to just go pull that camera and see you know, how big that other deer actually was. And so we had that buck on camera, but at the scrape ended up being the one that I shot, uh, you know, September 12th, um, just a stud of a deer definitely worked his way all the way up to the top of my, uh, my hit list. Yeah. Um, working the scrape, had him at the scrape, had him at the field edge. And I only have like six pictures of him in that month, but it was always him getting ready to leave the property at last light. And he was coming back in at first light. Okay. So I knew that he was betting nearby and he was visiting the scrape at like seven o'clock. So right handful of middle light. of the day. Yeah. Right at last light. Um, so a handful of middle of the day pictures, which kind of solidified the fact that I thought he was local. Yeah. So I actually went and hunted that. Um, so it had been September 2nd that evening I got in there and got set up, uh, took my tree standing with me, set it up. And at like seven fifteen, I had a doe and a little buck come in and, and they came in downwind to me and caught me and, you know, I blew the hunt. So yeah, I'm like, well, the next time I get in here, I'm definitely going to make sure, you know, the conditions are a little better. I didn't really didn't have a great idea as to where he was, but I had a general idea. When those two so, deer, when those two deer busted you, did you kind of have a, oh man, I just blew this entire thing type of moment or were you kind of still confident in the area? Yeah, I was still fairly confident in the area. Um, <clears throat> cause I didn't hear anything else kind of run out of that timber. Usually you can hear the woods kind of wake up when they, when they bust out. Yeah. And she hung around for a little while afterwards. Like, cause I don't even know how she busted me to be honest with you. Cause my, my thermals seem to be pulling away from her. Yeah. But I could have caught a squirrel or something. And, uh, but anyways, so I went back out on September 12th. Um, it had been, I don't know, you guys probably have the same weather, upper nineties, super high humidity. Yeah. We, we get it. We get it. Your weather probably, let's say if a front moves through, we'll get it, uh, eight to eight to 12 hours probably later than you, depending on what part of Southeastern Nebraska you're from. Gotcha. I live in Omaha. Oh, okay. So So, yeah, probably, probably even less than that then. Okay. Yeah. So paying attention to the weather and my, my wife, she owns a clothing boutique and does her little sales thing like every Thursday. Right. So that allows me to have an excuse to leave work and just go, you know, sit in the woods. So it just happened to work out that that Thursday, there was probably about a seven or eight degree temperature drop from the night before. So I was like, well, you know, maybe that could be something still warm, but maybe that'll get them moving. And the wind was blowing uh, through the trees. So there is like a little grain bin, just kind of little hay bale area that the farmer has for storage um, right off of the road there. So like, you know what, I think I'm going to park there and I'm going to take this random tree row down that I've like, I've done zero scouting on this tree row. So this is kind of more of like a, what I thought was going to be an observation sit to try to figure out where he was coming out at. So I worked my way down this tree row, found a couple scrapes and a couple rubs already. Um, so that kind of got me excited too. I was like, well, maybe he's out of velvet already. Uh, this could be fun. Yeah. And, um, get down to the corner of the bean field where it pinched down with the tree row and uh, the timber block and found one tree there on the field edge. That was going to give me about a 30 yard shot into the timber block and out into the bean field, uh, 30, 40 yards if I needed it. Um, so I hang in my stand, I get about three sticks up and I go to reach for my fourth stick and it falls off my hook and like crashes down to the ground. Oh, like Jesus. echoes through the trees. And where I thought these deer could potentially be bedding, a deer starts to blow and takes off. So I just drove in like an hour and 40 minutes. And I'm just like, well, <laughs> the night shot, you know, just, you, can, you don't have any time to get anywhere else. Just climb down, get the stick and hang the stand and just chill just chill out. Like yeah. my wife was busy all weekend. So I was going to be able to hunt Saturday and Sunday. So I'm like, whatever, it's yeah. fine. So I climbed down, hang the stick, hang the stand and forgot my bow hook. So, so I'm like, okay, I've got two and a half hours to just sit here, holding my bow and <laughs> waiting on, you know, nothing because I just spooked all the deer out of the woods. So I wanted to say it was a legal, legal light ended at about eight ten that day. Yeah. Um, give or take. And at about seven, 40 i look up in front of me and a doe was standing out in the bean field she just popped out of the trees i'm like okay well not a total loss you know at least at least i saw something um so she picked the beans for a little bit and kind of worked her way back in the trees and she kept looking at me like over in my area and i thought she was catching like the strap movement from my stand or my sticks 
she wasn't too worried about it. Uh, hung around for about five minutes and turned around and left. I'm like, well, not the end of the world. You know, saw a deer. Let's, let's pack up. You know, you're not going to see anything else. So I just happened to look behind me to do a quick, like, glance to make sure nothing was in broad, you know, out in the open before I started climbing down. And in the trees, I just happened to see some brush moving. And the weeds inside the trees are maybe five feet tall. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, maybe a coyote's coming out. Get a, let an arrow drink today. And then all I see is antlers coming through the brush. So immediately I'm like, okay, obviously a shooter. Didn't know which deer it was, but um, I had yet to shoot a, deer, a buck with my bow. Um, so you were probably, you're probably jacked up at this point. Oh, yeah. I just saw antlers. And I'm like, okay, this is happening. Like he's walking to the bean field. 30 yards behind me. And at the angle he was coming, like he was closing the distance. Like, okay. So I immediately look away, start trying to compose myself. Cause I'm not going to lie. I get some super hardcore target panic and just <laughs> lose all control. My heart's racing. I'm thinking the deer can hear my heartbeat, you know, just kind of freaking out. <laughs> so I'm taking some deep breaths and I finally look behind me and he's standing on the field edge. I'm like, okay, this, this is going to happen. Like you need to, you need to get ready. Just kind of figure out, where you think he's going to be coming and just kind of get ready to roll. And he walks the field edge down towards my tree, turns and walks into the bean field. And I stopped him at about 16, 17 yards quartering away. And I mean, I buried it into him. He dropped to his knees, uh, pushed his way, bulldozed out of the bean field and crashed into the tree row, stood up, ran about 20 yards and crashed into a tree and dropped. It was done. That is awesome. And it was wild. <laughs> yeah, that's, I dude, I tell you what, I've never shot an opening weekend or an opening day buck just because I don't, you know, it's like your odds are always higher the closer to the rut that you're hunting or, you know, during the rut. But it's, you know, it's just, I don't know. I, one of these years I really want to focus on trying to get something done early season. Now, with all that said, though, why do you think that that buck was there and what got him up and moving in daylight? I think I set up right off of his bedroom. Like, I had scouted the majority of the property, and I, I really think I was I hung that stand 60 yards from his bed. Okay. I think I caught him getting up. I, I, he came from that scrape off of that area. So I think he had visited that scrape and he was coming down to the beans gotcha. uh, to feed. So I, I think I set up right on, you know, right in his home. Right. So that was even after you dropped that stick and it banged down on the other sticks. Right. Wow. So, I mean, for all I know, he could have been the deer that was blowing. I highly doubt it. Cause, I mean, it, was, it was a mature deer, Yeah. but yeah, for him to, for him to show up, at last light like that he had to have been nearby right so what i'm getting at though is what were the terrain features there i mean what why did this buck feel comfortable yeah it was his bedroom but why was it his bedroom why did he did he come out in a low spot uh was was he eating on beans was he eating on acorns yeah so the area where i think he came from it gets really thick in there um this part of nebraska i mean there's a lot of trees but it's more like that brushy bush tree when you get into some of these little thicket areas. Right. And um, we had come across some bedding in there when we were in there earlier. And yeah, he came, he came through that and off the top of a ridge is where the scrape was. And he came down the ridge in a low spot, kind of, uh, kind of looked like a little drainage ditch and walked that out to, to the field, to the beans. Okay. There you go. Um, and then I take it there is some other, there was, obviously a ton of other deer, you know, in there as far as does and stuff. Um, are you thinking about going back to that, uh, that place later in the season to maybe uh, shoot a doe or is Nebraska a one buck state or a two buck state? Uh, it's a two buck state. So I filled my archery tag and I bought a statewide, a buck only tag that I can still use for the rifle season if I need to, you know, cool. so I can hunt the rut. Cool. Um, but yeah, no, I, I plan on hopefully, uh, popping a doe here sometime in the next couple of weeks, get back out again. Um, bucks at the taxidermist. Uh, he's by far my biggest buck, even with rifle. Gotcha. He had about six and a half inch bases. That's crazy. And yeah, carried the mass all the way through to, you know, he was about five inches all the way through. 
So uh, let's see here. Um, just so everybody has a good idea of what this deer looks like, why don't you guess, you know, give us your thoughts on his score and give us your thoughts on how old he was. Um, I'm thinking he's going to score in the mid-160s. Wow. And, yeah, he uh, – so I put the tape on him a handful of times, and I compared it to a buddy's buck of mine that he shot and scores about 151. And it's bigger. Like, it's for sure bigger. And I've got another buddy who actually did a podcast with you a little while back last year. Shot a stud in Iowa. And his buck's in the upper 180. So I know it's in between there. Oh, cool, man. Well, congrats so. on, a, on a stud. And I'll tell you, just from looking at the picture, he's got that. And I'm not sure if it's the light, but it looks like he's got almost a grayish coat on him. Yeah, yeah. He's got a really, really cool coat. Um, yeah, that's how I would describe it. Is it's gray. Awesome, man. Well, Jeff, congrats on a early season monster, man. All right, Dan. I appreciate it. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to recap your early season or your hunting season thus far, why don't you go ahead and hit me up through Facebook or Instagram, and uh, I'd love to get you on the podcast and kind of share your story, talk about failures talk about successes talk about whether or not you're seeing anything or you're seeing a lot of movement anything helps right because there could be a guy uh, in the county next to you or uh, another guy listening in the same state who doesn't know if he should go hunting or not maybe he needs to bank some days and if you share your story it might have him get out in the woods or it might have him hold off until uh, better hunting conditions so with all that said thank you guys for tuning in and listening today huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast vortex optics lone wolf portable tree stand ripcord arrow rest wasp broadheads ozonic scent elimination units prime bows and again vortex optics man please go out and support the companies that support this podcast Uh, Thanks to all of you for taking time out of your day to listen and uh, download and be a part of this community. Also, be sure to subscribe to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast anywhere that podcasts are downloaded. And be sure to follow on social, Instagram, and Facebook again. Not only the Nine Finger Chronicles, but the Sportsman's Nation as well. And uh, as we all know, it's tree stand season, ladies and gentlemen. So if you're going to be in a tree... Do me a favor and wear your damn safety harness. Have a good rest of your week.